What's up, everyone? This is James Watkins with the Five Solas Podcast. I hope that you are all doing phenomenal. So I am thrilled to be sitting here today with the great Andrew Rappaport. I know. Okay, well, you got to listen to the crowd. So instead of Andrew, I will just go with that good old Reverend, almost Dr. Frank Mullis. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Yeah, you know, Andrew Andrew, and Justin Peters are in the Philippines. Yeah, so they can't defend themselves no, right now. They can't now. defend themselves so. <laughs> right now. So, Frank, you had an idea. You just got back from a trip a couple of weeks ago now. You had an idea that we would maybe do a series on some theological greats, maybe some not-so-theological greats. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. It might be good. So the one that we're going to start out with today. Well, let, let me let me quote you this. This is what is on his tombstone. I am content to wait till the day of judgment for the clearing up of my character. And after I'm dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. All right. So you all have about three seconds to guess that. And if you don't get it right. And it's not George Washington. It's not George Washington. It is another George, though, right? It is another George. It is another George. So the one that we will be starting out with today is the great George Whitfield, a, fa- a fam- pretty famous American preacher. Well, yeah. a pretty famous preacher. Well, before George Washington, George Whitfield was probably the most popular figure in America. Yeah, pretty much a celebrity type yeah, figure, Yeah, he was right? a celebrity. Matter of fact, 80% of all American colonists heard him preach at least one time. So imagine that, 80% of Americans heard the gospel from George Whitfield. Yeah, no wonder that was a great awakening, right? Yeah, and so <laughs> other than other than royalty, he was probably the only living person that name could be recognized by most of the colonists during that time. That's incredible. So we are going to move forward with George Whitfield today. And in the coming weeks, we're also going to be doing some other theological greats, not so greats. Uh, the next one I believe we're going to do is going to be Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. And then we're going to move forward into John Wesley and then the amazing and great mm-hmm. Charles Finney. Yeah, Charles Finney. <laughs> so I'm excited about Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney in particular. But you had a little bit of, uh, of, of a part of your trip was dealing with Jonathan Edwards as well, right? Right. So a couple of friends of mine from seminary, Dr. Thomas Price, I, I call him Oxford, he's a graduate. He graduated with me from Southeastern Seminary, and then he went on to Duke. Yes, he went on to Duke, graduated with a degree in patristics, and then he went to Oxford. Oxford. So that Oxford. is why you have to have a theological dictionary. Yeah, you're every time. Them. Yeah, we got to have a theological dictionary. And he has his own podcast as well. He does. He operates a podcast with two other hosts. It is the Reformed Pugcast. Reformed Punk. Uh, I mean, Pug. P-U-G. <laughs> yeah, P-U-G cast. So you guys check that out. It's available on all your favorite podcasting apps. Great podcast, but make sure to have your theological dictionary. Oh, handy. yeah. And, and then and not only that, did I have a former OCP uh, <laughs> or OPC. He's actually the, the, the other Orthodox guy, Presbyterian. Timothy Baker's Tim, one that converted Tim, you, right? Yeah, well, he, he has. He, he's, I, I, he sired me into Calvinism, I guess, kind of like a vampire. <laughs> and made uh, you famous on the campus yeah, of Southeast. Yeah, he, yeah, he made me, uh, I made him famous, actually. <laughs> uh, he was called, apparently he was called into the president's office uh, because of me. I he, didn't know that. They uh, told him to lock you in he, your cage. He, yeah, they, he, <laughs> he said, why did, they, why did he let me out of the cage? So Tim, uh, Tim's one of the uh, smartest guys I met in seminary, well-read, uh, him, him and uh, Tom both. So I said, hey, while we're 
while we're coming up to Connecticut to hang out, let's travel around and see some of the sites of the Great Awakening. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, we'll talk about some of that. And then uh, George Whitfield, uh, we went up to the church where he is interred. And, and that church, actually, you can do a tour of the First Presbyterian Church, Newburyport, Massachusetts, and you can set up a tour. And, and then our tour guide happened to be a uh, Baptist, by the way. Oh, really? That's um, irony. And uh, he, he toured us around the church. It's one of the uh, oldest churches around and amazing. I'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast. But we just learned so much about yeah. George Whitfield that we didn't already know. And I know I knew a lot about Whitfield. I've read his biographies. I've read his sermons over the years. But there were just so much that we learned about his later life and, and his death. And one of the reasons... Um, there was so much trouble going on in New England during that time period. And, and what's even more so, since it's Memorial Day weekend, what, what's interesting is that he's kind of the reason that we have the form of government that we do in America. There's a huge connection between George wow. Whitfield and the American form of government we have. So just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a background on George Whitfield, in case you're not familiar with him, George Whitfield was born December 27th, 1714, 1714, 1714, and in, died. Gla- in Gloucester, England. In Gloucester, England, and died September. September 30th, 1770. So, Frank, move us a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about Whitfield. Let's really dive into kind of his life, some of the things that he's a little known for. Well, you know, his his uh, father, he died uh, in 1770, uh, 17, 1716. We both can't get those uh, dates yeah, right. His, his mother eventually remarried but ended up divorcing and you know, George is going to work in their inn, the Bell Inn. He's going he's gonna to learn uh, how to work hard. And so when he, his mother and father, second mother, I guess his stepfather, divorced, uh, he's going to return to begin studies. And on Christmas 1730, he received the Lord's Supper for the first time and determines to be more watchful over his thoughts, words, and actions. But guess what? He still wasn't saved. Really? That, yeah. That's kind of not too unfamiliar within the church now. Yeah, right? very much so. In, in 1732, you know, he was pretty poor and had trouble getting in, but he wanted to go to Oxford. So a friend of his talked him into getting a job and kind of doing a, a co-op kind of work. And uh, Well, he was already familiar yeah. with kind of innkeeping. Innkeeping, so. so they got him there. And so he begins to go to Pembroke College at Oxford and pays his expenses by working as an errand boy, working in some of the pubs there. And he begins praying and fasting, thinking that that's part of what salvation is, right? So here's what happens to him in 1733. He's invited to breakfast by Charles Wesley and introduced to what was known as the Holy Club, and they had about uh, 10 or 11 members, and of course, Jonathan and Charles Wesley uh, John and Charles, I guess Jonathan, uh, yeah. there, Wesley, <laughs> begins to borrow the life of God and the soul of man by Henry Skugel, which showed me that I must be born again or be damned. Well, really, the kind of the irony behind that is that club, the Holy Club, was a very legalistic club. Oh, it was. I mean, that, that's really what it was. You know, a lot of people look down on them, but the Holy Club friends seek salvation through severe discipline and good works, which causes a breakdown of his health, which he never fully recovered um, because he was fasting and praying so much, wow. believing that 
in this works-based, not only salvation, but this works-based sanctification. Yeah, and you and I have done a little bit of work on sanctification, but you preached a little bit today and last week in regards to legalism and right. how the whole point of, which legalism is really pe- uh, personal preference being called sin, among other things. It's a lot more detailed than that, but really you made the point that the law is not what actually saves us. It's a mirror to the cross. Right. The The law points us to run toward Jesus, right? And it seems that's what George Whitfield's seen. Yeah, he did. In, in, in the Holy Club. Right, in the Holy Club. So he, he's seeing the law and he's realizing, you know what, this, this isn't working too well. I can't fulfill it. And so the Holy Club is going to lead him to a more Calvinistic approach to scriptures. And so the Wesleys are going to become missionaries and travel to our great state of Georgia here. And so Whitfield's going to finish his degree in 1736. He's going to be ordained a deacon in the Church of England. And by the way, what's interesting, Whitfield learns to despise the Church of England, by the way. <laughs> he's going to uh, begin to preach his first sermon, and he is going to go back for his master's degree at Oxford. He then leaves to substitute preach for various friends and decides to become a missionary to Georgia. Yeah, and that was, that was something that I kind of um, found pretty interesting is that George Whitfield was primarily uh, kind of an interim preacher rather than being actually assigned to a pastorate. Right. In the church. He, yeah, he was an itinerant preacher just like Wesley, but he's more he's gonna be more of a church planter. Yeah. Uh, like much like Paul. And you know, the Wesleys, you know, we think of them as Methodists, but mm-hmm. Methodism was a method in which they yeah. use to teach the people teach people the Armenian gospel, right? right? And so eventually him and um and the Wesleys are going are going to split over that whole Calvinism Armenian thing. And is that and that's really whenever you see the old and new light, right? Yeah, well, the old and new lights um, is is a, is a very interesting thing, and we'll get to that uh, in just a minute. Um, but how about this? The more George Whitfield preached, the more people loved him, or the more people oh, I bet I can imagine. Him. Very few people, very few people didn't get anything out of his sermon. Well, the cross is foolishness <laughs> to those that are perishing, right. but for those that are being saved, it's the gift of eternal life. <laughs> One of the things that happens is he's in seventeen thirty nine. He's he's ordained a priest but finds that many of the pulpits began closing to him. And so this is why he begins to preach outdoors. And, and this is where Tim, Tim Baker, he, he had, he didn't really love Whitfield as much as I did. You know, he, he'd always wondered about why in the world was Whitfield not preaching in churches. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, is that what, you know, these street preachers do Do the street preachers try to uh, overshadow the church. Right. And right. so that that was kind of, um, you know, Presbyterians, they, they don't necessarily have a love for, for street preachers so much. Yeah. And so Tim couldn't kind of figure it out until we started when we went and sat in on this church history tour at uh, the, the Presbyterian church there at Newburyport. The guy explained that basically whenever Whitfield would go and preach, people would get saved, <laughs> which they weren't doing. You re- Remember, in Anglican and uh, Presbyterian and so forth, church, and again, there weren't that many Presbyterian churches, so let's just say the Church of England and even the Puritans, you're pretty much born into the church. By law, you had to be a member of the church to what? Vote. So pretty much everybody was a member of the church, whether you were a sheep or a goat, Right. you were members in the church. It didn't matter because it was so much foundational right. on the government. Right. And so George Whitfield, when he would preach, a bunch of lost people that were members of the church started getting saved. <laughs> and so the pastors uh, began to get upset. It started causing problems. And so a lot of these pastors 
shut the door to Whitfield. Well, guys, we are just getting started on George Whitfield. Believe me, there is a lot more than what a 40, probably a 30, 45 minute episode can capture. But we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all asked, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Five Souls Podcast. This is James sitting here with Frank Mullis, and we are discussing theological giant in George Whitfield. Would you agree with that statement that he's a theological giant? Oh, absolutely. After he leaves and heads toward Georgia, his his voyage is kind of delayed, and uh, he begins to preach uh, in Bristol and London. Thousands began to pack churches there. And as I said earlier, you know, he's he's starting to have problems getting into churches because many of his sermons are getting published and people are publishing them against him right. and using it against him. And so when he gets to, um, to Georgia, the pulpits are closed, so he begins preaching outdoors. And guess what? When you preach outdoors, more people can hear you. Right. So you, you'd Start have like, a crowd. Right. You had, he had about 10,000, uh, tens of thousands of people heard him preach in the fields, and one of them was one of the nobles. Uh, the Countess of Huntington are drawn to Whitfield, and he's going to, again, spend months in Georgia. He's going to go back, and he's going to come back. In August, he sails for America and preaches to New York and Philadelphia. And guess who he meets in Philadelphia? The great Benjamin Franklin. Really? Yeah, he has wow. a... He, he just a, got ties all over the yeah, place, he right? has a he has a lifelong friendship with Benjamin Franklin, which if we think of, for a moment, Jonathan Edwards' belief that the more you hear the gospel and, and fail to repent, the more damnation you occur. Right. So imagine your best friend is, you just George, keep preaching is George Whitfield and, and how much more damnation <laughs> Ben Franklin has because of his buddy. Man, George what art Whitfield. thou doing? <laughs> you know, and, and what's what's interesting is Benjamin Franklin does experiments on George Whitfield's preaching and it's been said that his people could hear him between about a half mile in circumference. Wow. Um, whenever he would preach in the mountains, they would say that the farmers in the valleys would think God was talking to them because the sound would travel over <laughs> the mountains. It would carry over so it would carry, it would carry over. But what's interesting is Benjamin Franklin did these experiments and so forth. But, of course, Ben Franklin, he's known as a newspaper man right. as well. And so his newspaper was up against a lot of others, and he was kind of floundering. And almost his business went out of uh, business. Here's what he decided to do. What do you think he did to gather more business? He had George Whitfield. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> George Whitfield, what he would do, of course, he's writing lots of sermons. And like most preachers, they didn't have, you know, Microsoft Word and right. you're handwriting them. And then when you're done with them, what do you do? You toss them to the side. So Ben Franklin said, hey, send me one of your sermons. And so he published it. And what he discovered the next day, all of his newspapers sold out. Really? Yeah. So so this uh, kind of goes hand in hand and, with how we know how many sermons that's exactly that right. Whitfield um, preached. And so his newspaper actually, um, because he started publishing all of George Whitfield's sermons, a lot of his sermons got saved. We know how many priests, around 18,000 sermons wow. were published. And it saves his newspaper so that he could begin 
to do experiments and invent things like uh, the bifocal and the lightning rod. So I just did some quick math, and you've been at Devereux Baptist Church now for about 14 years. Yeah, 14. And so you are, if you just do 52 weeks times your 14 years, you're at roughly 728 sermons, so you're a little bit under. Yeah, I'm <laughs> probably, I'm, I, to, to be honest, I'm probably, probably at about, uh, I would say, 600 maybe, 600 or so, so I got some catching up to do. Yeah, you do. Um, and I'm glad, but, but I'm glad a lot of them aren't saved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and some of those sermons are lost in And some, lost of, the, some history, of them are uh, some of them are ones that I've preached whenever he's yeah, not there, yeah, and I'm definitely so glad they're, they're, that they're not saved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Locked archive. Um, by 1740, you know, one of the things that's important to know about is we Christians do a lot of good around the world. We start hospitals, and we start orphanages. Yeah. And so one of the things that uh, Whitfield does is he starts an orphanage. And you can travel around Georgia, and there's actually Whitfield County, Georgia, mm-hmm. And Whitfield, he starts an orphanage here. And then April, he's going to begin to travel back to Philadelphia and small town like Fags Manor, (laughs) where he preached, uh, where 12,000 people came to hear him. And by mid-year, he was back in Georgia doing preaching storms back in the fall up in New England. Wow, that's incredible. Just to have that many people coming to hear the gospel. Now, that many people go, they go and hear Joel Osteen. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, and, and now I mean, I don't, I don't think you would really, unless you're John MacArthur with yeah, a massive yeah, church, you yeah. wouldn't have that many people coming to hear the true well, gospel. And then back in 1741, he goes back across to the other side of the pond, back to England. So Whitfield goes back across the pond, and and it's estimated that he traveled back and forth across the ocean around 13 times. And that's not uh, easy, easy travel at that time. Yeah, and I mean, and if you think about, uh, by the time he comes back to America, when he's about 25 years old, and this is sometime between 1739 and 1740, he's taken America by storm. Uh, his at a very young age. Yes, uh, 20, very young yeah, age. Yeah, and by the time he he's done, uh, he preaches in Boston. And his farewell sermon, almost 23,000 people, more than the population of Boston that time, 23,000 people. And it's probably the largest crowd that ever gathered in America up to that point. When we, when we talk about Whitfield and his, um, his preaching, he preached at Harvard, he preached at Yale. The college in its entirety changed. The Harvard professors, you know, they had slowly become more and more liberal. Right. And and we talk about the new lights versus the old lights. They wrote a pamphlet denouncing, but they weren't the only ones that hated Whitfield. Whitfield, he, he was hated. Moms sometimes attacked Whitfield and his, and, and, uh, his followers. They maimed people. They stripped the women naked. Uh, he had death threats. He had stones thrown at him, and one time he nearly died. Um, one of the, my favorite stories is that people came and threw dead cats, cats at him, yeah. right? And, I remember and, when and, first hearing you talk yeah. about that, uh, you made mention of it in a sermon that you did a while back. Yeah. And I sat there, and I was like, he's got to be misspeaking. And I was like, no, cats? No, no, no not, not a live cat, but a dead cat. Now, now, think about this. It's not like you could just find a dead cat along the way. It means that you toted this dead cat with you yeah. just to throw with it out. With the intention. Now, here's something that's even 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 wilder is that one day he's coming to preach um, at this church, in the First Presbyterian Church in Newburyport. The town, half the town hated him. The other town, half of the town loved him, right? Uh, it was a, basically the pastors of the town hated him except for this one church. And this church was founded by him. So much so that they would, they would throw things at him, stone him. And then one day while he is walking into the church, 
there's a guy standing in the tree over the door where he's going in and urinates on George Whitfield. Wow. Now, now let me let me let's just think about this. <laughs> if this guy, let's let's say this guy's never converted, right? Can can you imagine on Judgment Day as you, you're you there, urinated on perhaps you, you, one you're of the, the greatest great, preachers you're, of our you're, times. God, you're being judged for urinating on George Whitfield. on George Whitfield. <laughs> I mean, preached the gospel, gospel to thousands, and, and and here, you, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a kind of a sad thing to think of, right, uh, sir? I'm seeing that in your timeline, you urinated on George Whitfield. <laughs> <laughs> now, just thinking about uh, the people throwing the dead cats at George Whitfield, was there any kind of symbolism here with the dead cats, or were they just trying to find, like, perhaps just something to just to be absolutely insulting to him? I, I don't know, dude. I mean, it, it boggles my mind that, that anybody would think to throw a dead cat at me. You know, there's there's a story of, of John Wesley that's similar to that, and I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to to Wesley, but since we're bringing, you know, bringing Wesley in, I'm going to talk about this. Eventually, in 1741, when when uh, Whitfield arrives in England in March, he meets with great hostility stirred largely by John Wesley, and John Wesley and him are going to split against his mm-hmm. Calvinism. Publishes a counter, he publishes a counterattack against Wesley and begins to preach. And he's eventually going to be married to Elizabeth Jane, and he's going to be an itinerant most of England. By 1743, he helps form the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist Association, where he serves as a minister. By 1744, uh, his four-month-old son John dies of sickness and is buried. And George, believe it or not February of 8th of 1744 George is is attacked and almost killed um, I mean, after being I mean having cats thrown at you urinated yeah. on I mean it's just one thing piling on after another for him and so he and his wife are going to travel back to America where he's going to resume preaching and this is his third visit back to the colonies through beset with opposition inspires a great wave of revival and this is the beginning of really probably the great awakenings uh, he's going to travel to Bermuda and preach in Bermuda, and then he's going to go back to the lady um, who he had met, uh, who was kind of one of the nobles that was his supporter, Lady Huntington, appoints Whitfield her chaplain, lessening the financials on him, and he ministers through England, Wales, Ireland, and Scotland between 1748 and 1751. So he's traveling back and forth, and by 1751, he's back in the colonies, arriving back in Georgia uh, with a group of destitute children, and he does a preaching tour, and he helps his orphan houses with financial needs. He's going to go back to England again, and he's going to tour Wales. So he and, travels a lot Edinburgh. more than you did. Yeah, for the seventh time, he returns to London for the opening of a, a brick tabernacle. And then 1754, he's back in the colonies from Boston to Georgia. 1755, he preaches in London and Bristol and Gloucester, and he's going to go to preach in Dublin, Ireland, and Glasgow and Wales. And then 1763, he's on his sixth trip back to the colony. Now, could you imagine just how much more preaching he would have been able to get accomplished if he actually had modern means of transportation? Imagine, imagine, <laughs> imagine if he had had a Learjet. Yeah. Uh, imagine how uh, much more, how many more people would he be able to preach for if he had a million yeah. dollar jet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, too bad Kenneth Copeland was. Yeah, too bad Kenneth Copeland uh, wasn't around for (laughs) Whitfield to borrow his jet. The sixth trip to the colonies, he begins to develop more and more health problems. 
which goes back to his works base salvation, right. his, the, the his fasting, fasting and, and so forth. Part um, of the Holy Club. Uh, and in 1768, his wife dies. He's going to open a college in 1768, the same year. And then 1769, we come to uh, his seventh and final trip to the colonies. And he's going to arrive in Charleston. He's going to preach 10 days, and then he's going to begin a tour of Philadelphia. And then he's going to head on up to Newburyport, where he will uh, preach his last two sermons around that area, and then he will die. Well, I I tell you just how much traveling and all he did preaching the gospel. He sounds like he might have been a kind of a, a Calvinistic Billy Graham of his day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Third, thirteen times he's he's crossing back and forth wow. uh, to pre, and and I'm talking about we're talking about months. Yeah, months you know, at to, sea. To months at sea, and 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 a lot of his sermons were written. You know, those eighteen thousand sermons. Yeah. He's got time to to preach those uh, those sermons. Now, and you got to think too that with the health problems that he started experience kind of later on in his life, not only did was that a result of the Holy Club and his uh, his view of a works based salvation with the fasting. But also the intense amount of travel that he did probably didn't do him any favors no. at that time. No, it, it's definitely weighing on the um, soul and the spirit and, and his health. Um, and that's why you do need those um, those big jets to travel. Yeah, but because we <laughs> we've uh, we've seen it in modern times. You know, we've we went to uh, a couple of years ago. We were at the G three conference, and we've seen a couple of of pastors there that we know that do a ton of travel. travel. And our comments, man, they just look exhausted. Well, I, I know. Look, I, there were there are times where I have gone uh, in my early days. I would I would fly to speak uh, uh, Friday Saturday. And I would get a 6 a.m. flight, and I'd have to be at the airport at 3. I'd fly back home at uh, 6 in the morning. I'd drive two hours yeah. and then preach. It was works out well when you're young, but I'm almost 50 now, and uh, it, it gets harder and harder to travel in and to speak. I'm glad yeah. you're able to fill in for me now so yeah. I, don't have to, and, I don't have to rush and yeah, do that. At least that. you don't have to uh, spend months at sea. Yeah, in months at sea. Um, <laughs> you know, let, let's think about uh, a little bit about the end of his life. Seven times back and forth to America, dozens of times to Scotland, Ireland, Bermuda, Holland. He's preached 18,000 sermons. Ten million people have heard him preach. Um, he's lost a son. He's lost a wife, and here he is. Uh, and that that in itself is almost more yeah, than closing he in. Bear. You know, closing in on his fifties. You know, he look. He's been friends with Jonathan Edwards, Charles Wesley. You know, um, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. So William Cowper um, and others. And he's he's had cats thrown at him. He's been stoned, he's been urinated on, and all these people uh, have mocked him for for many years, and there's a story um, that's a pretty famous story, and as a matter of fact, Phil Johnson uh, uses this story in... uh, and one of his sermons is the story of John Thorpe. Have you heard this story? Uh, I believe I've heard it. I believe I've, I believe I've heard you uh, kind of go over it before. Yeah, after hearing Whitfield preach in uh, 1750, John Thorpe and three of his friends went to this tavern, and there was this um, this game where you just kind of mock people and so forth. And so John Thorpe 
decides to mimic Whitfield. And people actually end up getting saved. Yeah, well, of this, not, right? well, not so much as John Thorpe. He grabs a Bible and jumps on and he starts preaching one of Whitfield's sermons. And in the middle of the sermon, he gets saved. <laughs> and matter of fact, it's he says, I will beat you all. But his eyes fell on, except you repent, you will likewise perish. He was struck with his sinfulness and he sat down. And two years later, he became a one of John, Welth, uh, John wow. Wesley's itinerant preachers. So that just goes to show, ladies and gentlemen, the word of God does not return void, and the gospel is the power even, of God Even if you're preaching salvation. it, right? Even, <laughs> even if you are mocking, mocking it. Even mocking if you're it. mocking the gospel. So whenever he's sitting there preaching that, preaching the gospel, mocking, mocking, all of a sudden he hears, repent or you will likewise perish. Uh-oh. <laughs> so George Whitfield, he sets up, he goes to Newburyport, Massachusetts. And during this time, uh, he preaches, and this group of people get saved, and it causes a stir in the church. And so when he comes back, the pastor won't let him preach because now these people within the church are causing a stir. Right. And this is the later part of his life, right? Well, this is probably the midpoint. And so this group of uh, people are pretty much run out of the church. And it's the story of the old lights and the new lights. And really this this goes back to the halfway covenant. If you remember Mm -hmm. the halfway covenant was basically you could be a member of the church, but you couldn't participate in the Lord's Supper, right? right? And so Jonathan Edwards, he was a big... He was anti this. It was it was a, a big problem for him, and it's one of the reasons he got fired. And so it caused a lot of stir when people would get saved. People would start saying, how are you a member of the church if you're not saved? And so the new lights, who were people who were born again, right? right the, these guys go and start their own little congregation in church, and George Whitfield comes back. They go there and allow him to preach. He's famous. People are coming. They eventually, uh, George Whitfield is going to talk them into becoming Presbyterians. And one of the reasons why, and this is the guy from the church history uh, tour, uh, basically said the Presbyterians were not tied to the Church of England. And Whitfield had become more and more anti-Church of England, kind of more and more pro pro-revolutionary. And, uh, I, and that probably had a lot to do with, with the Church of England being so tied in with the right, government. That's exactly right. And so the Presbyterian form of government, if you think about it, is representative, right? Elder rule, and you vote for the elders, and the mm-hmm. elders kind of are the ones who represent you, and that's our American form of government. So George Whitfield is connected to that in some way. He's really the founder of the Presbyterian movement in America, because most of the churches, the one in Savannah is Presbyterian, the one uh, Newburyport uh, is um, is Presbyterian. But one of the one of the things that was so interesting about it is that George Whitfield came there, he preached there, and one of the things that he declared was that he wanted to be buried under the pulpit of that church, even though he wasn't the first pastor, he was kind of the founding pastor of the church. And so, if you go and sit in uh, the church, it, it's a very much like if you've been to been to any of the old churches up there, very much the same style, the high pews where right. you you know people had to put the charcoal inside yeah. the pews to stay warm. They even have uh, spots they have spittoons where <laughs> where people could do that. They you know they had the slave pews up in up in the top. The pulpit was up in the ceiling where the pastor would kind of preach down, condescend mm-hmm. onto the people as they preach the gospel, and so. Uh, very much an interesting way of viewing people in the way they used to uh, practice uh, church. And so what's even more interesting is at the top of the church, at the top of the church, there is 
a lightning rod. And guess who is, who installed the lightning rod? Benjamin Franklin. Ah, go figure. Because <laughs> of his friendship with George yeah. Whitfield, he told him, hey, I got this new invention, the lightning rod, that I'd like to install into your uh, church. And so a few years ago, lightning hit the church and hit the... <laughs> It hit the lightning rod and it bounced off and hit a house next door. <laughs> <laughs> well, it damaged the house at least. Yeah, well, the house next door were a bunch of atheists. Uh, so, hey. so what do you what do you know? Think about this. Because of George Whitfield's preaching and friendship with Benjamin Franklin, the church was saved in the 21st wow. century. Right? That's incredible. Right, so, you want to hear an, an even more interesting story? So, about a year ago, about a year ago. Uh, a opioid addict, heroin addict, breaks into the church. Now, what you a lot of people don't know is there's a lot of very expensive George Whitfield relics there. Oh, I imagine. Um, including his Geneva Bible and uh, uh, many of his sermons and letters and so forth. Uh, very valuable. You can imagine what a Geneva original Geneva yeah. Bible is worth. Yeah. So the crackhead ends up stealing a copier, uh, uh, like a inkjet printer and something else, right? What's interesting about it, it caused the church to get paranoid, so they installed a fire and alarm system, burglar alarm system. A few months later, they had a candlelight service and... And one of the candles that they had uh, used that night reignited and caught uh, one of the windows on fire. And the fire department was there in 45 seconds and put it out and the church was saved. And if it hadn't been for this opioid addict breaking in, the whole church wow. would have probably burned down. Um, <laughs> That's including right? <laughs> including losing all of Jonathan. Wow. That or I'm sorry, incredible. George Whitfield's stuff. So very, you know, providential um, uh, things connected to, to all of this, right? <laughs> Um, and if you think about George Whitfield's grave, George Whitfield is buried under there, right? So you can go and visit the church. You can do the tour. Uh, you can travel to the top of the church to uh, its steeple where they have a one of the last remaining Paul Revere bells. A very narrow space. Yeah, a very narrow call, space. Call I, don't you think you, I don't think you would make it up there. I probably wouldn't. Uh, I could, uh, if, you, if you barely got I up I barely there. got up it, right? <laughs> so And so he rang the bell for us. So that was kind of cool. So we traveled down from the tip top of the church all the way down to the basement where George Whitfield is uh, buried or and interred. you raised him. I tried. I know I tried to grave suck. It didn't work. <laughs> like it didn't work on Edwards. It didn't work on Whitfield. So what's interesting is is that the original pulpit of the church uh, was moved to the new spot. His grave was actually moved under the new pulpit. But what's even more so is that he was not interred in a tomb under the church. His coffin was just placed under the pulpit. Oh, so it was actually submerged above. It, it, it was Te- just a, it was ground. yeah. It was a wooden coffin just placed under. In the basement of the church. Wow. So. And there's a pretty interesting story that comes There's from many that. interesting <laughs> stories. This is what blew my mind about, about this thing, right? During the Revolutionary War, there was going to be an invasion of Canada, right? An mm-hmm. invasion of Canada. And one of the great military generals that we don't consider a great military general, we think of him as a traitor, Benedict Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um, on his way to Canada, he stops in to Newburyport uh, along with one of his lieutenants, a former vice president of ours, Aaron Burr. Mm-hmm. So Aaron Burr, many people uh, have to understand a little bit about church history, is that his grandfather was Jonathan Edwards. Right. And so they wanted to visit. Burr wanted to say, hey, let's go see the grave of the great George Whitfield. So they go inside, and so you have Benedict Arnold, Lieutenant Aaron Burr, and several others, and you know they're on their way to battle, and the pastor at the time, he says, hey, would you like to see his body? So he yeah. opens up the coffin, <laughs> and there is 
George Whitfield, and he's in his robe and, you know, probably skeletal uh, by this point. Aaron Burr says, you know what, since we're going into battle, I want a piece of good luck. So he cuts off a piece of, of George Whitfield's robe, and so did the lieutenants, along with Benedict Arnold. Now, as the story goes, as they travel on up to Canada, they lose that battle royally. So yeah. there was no special, yeah, no good luck, no, right? no good luck attached to that. But what this did was start a precedent, according to the uh, church historian there. And so, for years to come, people would come to visit George Whitfield, and they would, and take and and if the pastor or whoever it was would open up the coffin, people would begin to take relics. Pretty soon there was hardly anything yeah, left. There was very very little. They would they would take pieces of his uh his robe and they began to take pieces of him him, right? Bones and so forth. And what's interesting and and there's this book uh, put out by the church, the Reverend George Whitfield, and I'll just uh, kind of uh read a little bit about this. This started this precedent with people collecting relics of George Whitfield. As the story goes, there's been thousands of people to visit the crypt over the years, and people were able to peer into the coffin, and his skull was worn to a shiny white hue by the throngs of visitors who wished a close encounter. The coffin was closed to viewing by order of the city in 1932 and was eventually sealed. George Whitfield's right arm bone was stolen in 1829 and carried to England. It came into the possession of Mr. Bolton, a great admirer of George Whitfield. So here's how the story goes from the historian. He asked a, a friend of his that, hey, I'm going to Whitfield's church. Would you like anything? He said, sure, bring me something back. Well, he was hoping maybe for a piece of the sermon or a piece of a letter of everything. He got a bone. And then so he got a bone, <laughs> right? And when he gets it, he's disgusted by it. And so he sends it back in 1849 in a small wooden box. And and so when the box gets back, people carried it through the town, and there was cheering and the bells ringing <laughs> in the return of his box. So when the town ordered the the uh, the coffin closed and sealed and, and interred in actual uh, where it is today, they sent out letters all around the world requesting for pieces of his bone and his robe and everything to be returned. And people were sending back pieces of bones and his robe. Harvard University had his entire rib part of his <laughs> rib cage uh, returned. They didn't even know Harvard had it. Come on, Harvard. Right? Um, there, there's still a piece of his thumb missing. Uh, someone uh, in some museum has his, has his thumb. Um, I think upstairs in the um, in the viewing area is a piece of one of his bones. And so he's sealed up, and he's buried between two people, Jonathan Parsons, who's the first pastor of this church. Whitfield actually died in his house, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. There's another, Joseph Prince, who was a blind minister who preached many, many times. He was buried there. So there's three people actually buried in the crypt there under the church now. And on top of the crypt is a is Jonathan Edwards' um, skull, a, a cast of his skull, and a cast of his Geneva Bible that he preached from. And he hated the King James Bible, by the way, um, Ooh, because, it was, it, because it was connected to King James. He loved the Geneva Bible. Right. Now, this is something interesting for you King James-only people, I'm sorry, is that one of the reasons King James hated or, or started the King James Bible is because he hated the Geneva Bible right. because it had the notes of John Calvin out right. beside it, and people were becoming Calvinistic because of John Calvin. As, as a matter of fact, the pilgrims hated the King James Bible because 
it was a new version. <laughs> of course. Um, now, here's the, here's the funny thing, though, is the King James only people right now aren't reading the traditional the, the King James. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know we, we've kind of rambled along with it, uh, but, you know, I want to just uh, suggest people, if you get a chance to go to uh, Newburyport, to First Presbyterian Church, um, get a tour. It's worth it. Um, they, you know, they ask for like a $5 donation or stuff. The church has no... They've got heating and cooling, but uh, during the day, it's kind of turned off. It's kind of kind of turned off, and uh, I can imagine what their electric bill is, you know. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's one of the original churches. Yeah. Uh, from from that time period. And so they, you know, they, they do tours and, and so forth. And it's an interesting time to kind of go and tour. The majority of the town is, is quote unquote, atheistic, agnostic, uh, new age. As a matter of fact, the owner of Parsons House, which is the parsonage in which George Whitfield dies, they are, they hate the gospel and won't even let the church come in and, and see it. They've restored it to the original church. Wow. And and the second floor of the of this parsonage is where George Field Whitfield preached his last sermon and where he died. And the people that live there hate the gospel. Well, could you imagine now if you had somebody like George Whitfield who was going around <laughs> preaching the gospel as much as he was? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and and they I, what I, would they throw at him today? What, yeah, what would they throw? I, I think they might still urinate on him. Right? That yeah, yeah, or they or they would just throw de- uh, aborted fetuses at aborted him. Aborted fetuses, yeah, or, or or maybe and throw a flying demon baby. Yeah, flying de- yeah. that we we haven't mentioned that, have we? So no. flying demon baby. Yeah, they they might throw a flying demon baby at him. <laughs> We, do, we still got to get Andrew Rappaport on yeah. so he can tell us a little bit about that. Speaking of Andrew Rappaport, guys, check out his Rap Report podcast. He has a daily as well as a weekly that comes out. Some of the other ones that you guys need to check out, check out The Growth Project. That is with Danny Purvis and Robert Houghton. I am currently in the middle of reading a book written by Danny Purvis called The Marriage Pyramid. I'm right smack in the middle of it. I'm not going to give too many details on it right now. All I can say is that what I've read so far has been very, very edifying for me, and I strongly recommend as of this point right now for you to get a copy of. Frank, I think you got a copy, didn't you? I do. I've got the um, Kindle version. The Kindle version is actually was only three or four bucks. Yeah, and I, I got the paperback, and it was only fourteen ninety nine. Uh, so I got it off of Amazon. Uh, you can visit those guys on Facebook, Growth Project, Growth Project Radio, fantastic podcast. Are, are we, we going to do a book review? Yeah, yeah. Uh, whenever I get done with the book, I'm going to go back through, and I'm probably going to read it a second time. And if Danny Purvis wants to, I would love to have him come on and, and talk about it a little more. I'm sure he has a he has a wealth of knowledge from being a Navy chaplain, uh, counselor, pastor. So I'm sure that he has a wealth of knowledge that uh, didn't quite make it in, into the pages, and I'd like to pick his brain on it. But Frank, just to kind of tie us up here on this, George Whitfield is incredible, obviously. Uh, would you say that he's one of your favorite theologians? Um, well, theologians as much as, you know, probably pastors. I, I just loved his boldness. I yeah. mean, any man that would uh, still preach. As a matter of fact, there's a story where someone takes and throws a rock at him and hits his Bible and it knocks his um, Bible out of his hands and he just continues to uh, preach. So maybe kind of a, uh, this is how you do it, street preachers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think he is really the first, one of the first true street preachers. Yeah. And a lot of, and, and a lot of that is he was forced to street preach because people hated him so much uh, because he was, he was actually preaching the gospel, whereas the gospel had kind of died out. The Puritans, you know, had died out. And, and of course, that's why it calls the first great awakening. He and Edwards, to some lesser extent, and I throw that in there as a dig, Charles Wesley to a, a lesser right. extent, and we'll talk about why I believe that. Uh, but Whitfield and Edwards, truly, their God used them in a mighty way during that first great awakening. 
Um, whereas Edwards was the theologian, the preaching, I would say, was really Whitfield. I mean, think about it, 18,000 times, yeah. you know, millions of people yeah. heard the gospel. 80% of America heard the gospel during that. Could you imagine if 80% of America heard the true gospel today? It would probably bring about the persecution a lot, a lot swifter. <laughs> well, I mean, look, half the people loved him, half the people hated him, yeah. but, but there was always a response. Well, you know, something that's interesting is, you know, with the rise of social media now, whenever people are street preaching, you get, you get live videos now. Right. One of the things that I think that we see compared to what Whitfield was doing is Whitfield was going out preaching Christ and him crucified. Now what we're seeing is a rise in kind of a protest gospel preaching where people are going to say Planned Parenthood. No, no, nothing wrong with going to Planned Parenthood, but the gospel presentation is tied in with them protesting a specific thing, whereas Whitfield was just preaching the gospel. You mean planning not to be parenthood? <laughs> yeah, planning not to be parenthood. <laughs> you know, I was I, just kind of a, a rabbit trail for a second is, you know, I was listening, I think it was Ben Shapiro uh, who was talking about how the liberals are very good at their language that they choose. Oh, yeah, very, yeah, very, very, very. Black Lives Matter was started, you know, by white people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, Black Lives Matter, right, um, in, in that sense. And that's why. Unless you know, you're talking about abortion. Unless they, you're talking then, about then they, abortion then and matter. then they don't matter. And, um, well, and what was it? I, uh, I did a podcast last week on the topic of abortion, the laws that were passed in Alabama. And you know, the crazy thing is that 60% of the abortions in the state of Alabama are African-American. How about um, several years ago, uh, it's been been about four years ago, uh, one of the statistics came out is that more African-American babies were aborted in New York City yeah, than, than were born. born. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Well, Frank, so I've enjoyed doing George Whitfield. I can't wait to do Jonathan Edwards because I'm sure that we're going to talk a little bit. Well, you know, and, and Jonathan Edwards is, if you, if you think about it, probably Jonathan Edwards is at the top. You know, yeah. I, I would say probably Edwards, then, then Whitfield, yeah. and, you know, everybody. Center's are, in the hands of an angry God. I yeah. mean, pretty much everybody yeah. knows it. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty much, but not, not many people uh they don't understand. Uh, I don't it. think they understand <laughs> it, and and I really want to talk about that. And I th- I think R.C. Sproul uh, gave an excellent, really commentary on the meaning of that sermon, which stood out a lot to me. Well, Frank, we are going to wind down now. Do you have any closing thoughts on George Whitfield? George Whitfield, get his biography, read read up on him. You know, I, the best you know the best I best I can do uh, is is kind of give you my kind of lay knowledge of Whitfield. Read, read his biography. He's one of the most amazing men, uh, I think, in church history, at least especially American and, and English church history. So, Frank, do me a favor just to kind of uh, close this out here, and I don't expect you to speak in King James language, but how would the gospel, if George Whitfield were preaching it, how would the gospel sound coming from a man such as him who preached the gospel some 18,000 times? It start. I, I believe he would start with Jesus Christ, our Savior. That he came to save us from the law. That um, that Jesus Christ uh, came and uh, humbled himself uh, as a servant. Uh, he lived a perfect and holy life, and that he went to the cross of his own accord, sent by the Father, crucified by the Romans and the Jews, and for us as sinners. That he died for his people, he died for his elect, and that those who place faith in him alone through Jesus Christ alone, and it is by grace alone that we are saved. Place your faith in a resurrected Jesus Christ. 
So he would probably start out with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ because of him coming from that legalistic background with the Holy Club. Folks, again, I encourage you to, we'll, we'll put some resources in the links uh, in, in the podcast notes where you can find some information on George Whitfield regarding some of his works. But this has been a fantastic episode. I'm looking forward to getting into Jonathan Edwards and moving down the list into Charles Finney. But ladies and gentlemen, this has been James Watkins here with the great Reverend Almost Dr. Frank Mullis with the Five Souls Podcast. Thank you for listening and may all that you do be done to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria.